0: August 2021 marked a decade since research first showed that HIV treatment prevents sexual transmission of the virus. Those findings altered scientific discourse and HIV policy, but the science supporting what's called treatment as prevention hasn't been widely disseminated. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jacob Bohr, an assistant professor in the Department of Global Health at the Boston University School of Public Health. Dr. Bohr has co-authored a perspective article about HIV treatment as prevention. Dr. Bohr, could you explain the science behind treatment as prevention? How strong is the evidence that effective HIV treatment prevents sexual transmission?
1: Clinicians and scientists have long suspected that HIV treatment leading to lower viral load reduces transmission potential. But that was really confirmed in the 2011 publication of the hptn 5 trial participants living with HIV were randomized to immediate antiretroviral therapy or to deferred antiretroviral therapy which was based on the current guidelines at the time those individuals were in serodiscordant relationships and the HIV status of their partners was followed up over time and in this randomized trial the HPTN 052 trial showed a 96% reduction in transmission risk further investigation found that that one transmission event that occurred in the treatment group occurred quite quickly after randomization, probably before viral suppression was reached. And so follow-up studies, the partner one, partner two, and opposite attract cohort studies. Researchers followed serodiscordant couples, that's uh, partnerships in which one person is living with HIV and one person is not yet HIV-infected, and followed those couples over time. and. In the course of over 120,000 unprotected condomless sex acts, they found zero instances of linked HIV transmissions. So the evidence is really conclusive at this point. If someone is HIV positive, living with HIV, on treatment, and virally suppressed with an undetectable viral load, then that person cannot transmit the virus. In this message that undetectable equals untransmittable, was popularized by the Prevention Access Campaign and the U Equals U campaign starting in 2016 and has since been embraced by organizations worldwide, including the U.S. National Institutes for Health and Centers for Disease Control. NIH, a few years ago, released a statement that the evidence is really conclusive, that U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable when it comes to HIV.
0: So you write in your article that Nonetheless, in many countries, treatment as a form of prevention isn't broadly emphasized in public health information campaigns, HIV education curricula, or HIV counseling. Why do you think that's the case, and where have the barriers been the highest?
1: Well, I think it would be good to start with the ways that this information really has changed things. So the results of this trial led to profound rethinking of both HIV treatment and HIV prevention. So HIV prevention policy had previously relied on focusing on condom use, focusing on abstinence, reducing numbers of sexual partnerships, circumcision. And then all of a sudden you have this proven method of reducing transmission at a population level. And so the world really shifted its attention of prevention in many ways towards treatment prevention from a prevention policy perspective, from a treatment policy perspective, Whereas people living with HIV were previously encouraged to wait until their CD4 count had fallen below a threshold, say 200 cells or 350 or 500. The science of treatment as prevention was really one of the major justifications for extending treatment eligibility to everyone. So that as soon as someone was diagnosed with HIV, that person was immediately encouraged to start therapy, which is what what is the case now today in, in most countries around the world. In spite of these big changes in policy as a result of this trial, a lot of people around the world just don't know this information. And we conducted a systematic review, actually, of the literature on this topic on knowledge and attitudes related to treatments prevention that was published this summer in AIDS and Behavior. And we found 72 studies on treatments prevention, knowledge, and attitudes from around the world since 2008. And we found very large gaps very large gaps in knowledge, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, where two in three people living with HIV reside. And I think some of the hesitancy to share this information, certainly part of it had to do with the scale up or the slow scale up of viral load monitoring. So if you can't know your viral load, it's hard to rely on treatment as prevention because you don't know whether your viral load is fully suppressed. And so in recent years, there's been increased scale up of, of viral load monitoring capacity, laboratory capacity in many countries. But to be clear, there still are countries where viral loads aren't routinely available. So I think that's been one barrier. I think the other barrier, a significant barrier, has to do with the fact that this message in some way contravenes the prior messaging on prevention. The prior messaging on secondary prevention which is to say prevention through activities initiated by someone who is living with HIV to reduce transmission risk to others. Previously, people were encouraged to both start treatment and use condoms and take other measures to protect their partners. And in some ways, there's this fear, I think, that letting people know that treatment as prevention is protective against transmission could lead people to have more condomless sex, which could lead to other sexually transmitted infections, to unwanted pregnancies, and potentially to HIV transmission if people aren't fully virally suppressed. And those are real concerns, but I think one needs to consider whether that's a rationale to withhold accurate scientific information from people. In other words, at some point we need to provide people with information about both the pros and cons, and we need to let people make their own health decisions. And I think that's the case now with treatment as prevention, that we've globally withheld a lot of this
0: information from people who would really benefit. So in fact, looked at from the other direction, how does this dissemination gap affect people with HIV and public health more generally?
1: It's a great question, and there's a growing literature on this. There are a small number of randomized trials we identified four, two of which were at the individual level where people living with HIV were randomized to an intervention that included provision of information on treatment as prevention. And in those trials, adherence improved and, and viral suppression increased without increases in other STIs. A lot of the qualitative evidence on the topic indicates substantial improvements in well-being amongst people who receive this information, a lot of the stigma associated with HIV has to do with the potential to transmit the virus to other people. A lot of the fear around HIV has to do with transmission potential. And so the science of treatment as prevention directly targets that stigma. And it targets that stigma that people may have internalized where we see evidence of people perceiving themselves as a threat to others, and that with information on treatment as prevention, they no longer feel that way. And there's a tremendous relief that's accompanied with that information. So there are improvements in psychosocial well-being, improvements in mental health, and improvements in motivation around being on therapy, around testing, around adherence. One of the most interesting studies that was conducted on the topic was actually a community-level intervention It was a randomized community-level trial in Malawi, where communities were randomized to receive a health information meeting on treatment as prevention, or a generic health information meeting with information on HIV that did not specifically mention treatment as prevention. This was a project led by Laura Dirksen, who's at the University of Toronto. And what was interesting about the intervention, in contrast to the other studies that had been done was that information was disseminated about treatments prevention at the community level. So it wasn't just to people living with HIV, but to their prospective partners. And what Dirksen and colleagues found was that there was a tremendous reduction in stigma and stigmatizing attitudes. And that rather than having HIV and treatment be perceived as a sign, as a symbol of being someone who's at high risk of transmission, In fact, those attitudes started to switch, where treatment started to be perceived as something that was actually beneficial and that someone on treatment was not a high risk to others. And this reduction in stigma actually led to an increase in HIV testing in those communities that received this information. I think this really highlights where the transformative potential is of this message. It really targets the underlying structure of stigmatizing attitudes around HIV, where a lot of that stigma is rational. It has to do with fear. It has to do with fear of infection, fear of transmission. And if those fears can be assuaged, then people can now feel free to test and start treatment and be seen queuing in the clinic line or be seen with their pills and not fear rejection from future sex partners not fear that they'll never be able to have a family. And so I think that's the guarantee that we need to to work towards, the guarantee we need to provide people that when they're testing for HIV or when they're starting treatment, they're not throwing away their future, not just in terms of health, but in terms of their ability to have relationships, have a social future, to
0: be really seen as the same as anyone else. So finally, and perhaps expanding on what you're just saying, Does the failure to rapidly disseminate information about HIV treatment as prevention offer any lessons for ensuring that other research findings make their way into public health and clinical practice on a global scale more efficiently?
1: I think it does. I guess I think that with the case of treatment as prevention, there were early signs that this was an issue. One of the earliest randomized trials, community randomized trials, which was actually known as the treatment as prevention trial in rural South Africa where communities were provided with home-based HIV testing and the offer of immediate antiretroviral therapy for anyone who tested positive, as opposed to deferring until a lower cd 4 count, that in that early trial, they had a null result. They found that there was no impact of sort of the UTT or universal test and treat guideline on community incidents. But closer inspection found that, well, the reason was that there wasn't any difference in treatment uptake. And some of the qualitative work that followed that study actually found that people in the intervention communities didn't really understand the rationale. They didn't understand the prevention rationale, didn't understand the rationale for why people who really otherwise feel healthy, why they should start therapy. So this observation that in the context of a quote-unquote treatment-as-prevention randomized trial evaluating a test-and-treat strategy based on the science of treatment-as-prevention, that in the context of a trial like that, you still had very low treatment literacy, I think was a warning bell. And I think those kinds of warning bells need to be heated and heated more rapidly. I think when there's a gap between the information between the science that justifies a particular policy and the information that people have who who are the target population of that policy, I think we should really lean into those moments and think about why is there that gap? There are certainly ethical reasons to feel that we should be sharing this information. But I bet that in many instances, not just in the case of treatment as prevention, there's also an efficacy rationale to share that information. And that We need to trust people to engage with the science. And our task in science communications is not to hide the information from people, but to make sure that they understand it and understand both its strengths and limitations.
0: Thank you, Dr. Bohr.